want to talk today a little bit about Jesus in the midst, in the midst of our lives and and being. Amen. Look in First Peter, beginning in the first chapter of First Peter. Peter is way back in the back, right before the three epistles of John, right after Hebrews and James. Peter is very direct. He lays it out, and I really appreciate that. But Peter talks about our redemption, our justification, and he talks about our salvation, that we're born again to a living hope. And, and then he talks about a little bit about what that looks like and what that means to the Christian before he goes on to giving specific details about how a godly household should be run, husbands and wives, and and how we're called to suffer as Christians, if we're suffering as a Christian, and, and how we're stewards over God's grace that He has entrusted with us. But I want to look in the first chapter here, because I think based on all of the teaching that we have had here, that we have come to understand and to grow in the fact that we have, we are children of God. We are blood-bought children of God. We've been redeemed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by His precious blood, the, the payment, which was indeed overpayment for everything that we have been forgiven for. And that we are now justified, just as if I'd never sinned in God's sight. And he sees us, he either sees Adam, the old fallen man, or he sees Jesus. And if you've been born again, which is what Jesus said we have to do, if we want to see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3, then you belong to the Lord. What does it mean to be justified? Well, I tell the story of a dream that God gave me once where I was in a courtroom and I was standing before the the court and I knew that I was there to be sentenced and I knew that I was guilty. And in a sense, this is all of us as Christians For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the payment for sin is death. There's no way around that. In man's fallen state, he was hopeless and helpless to do anything to overcome this on his own until God devised the perfect plan. Jesus enacted that plan, paid the price for that plan, and now the Holy Spirit helps us to live out that plan. But I had the dream, I was standing in the courtroom, guilty, waiting to be sentenced. And I looked to my right and there was Jesus standing at my right side. He was my advocate, my lawyer, 
But the fact that he was there changed everything. I looked and there was no judge to pass a sentence. There was no jury. There was no trial lawyers. There was no prosecutors. No one to accuse me. Only Jesus standing there in the midst at my side and I was free to go. Declared innocent even though I was guilty. And that's how it is in our salvation. Guilty of the death and due the death penalty, he took it for us. And now we're justified in God's eyes. And Peter says in chapter 1, Verse 3, I'll start reading there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. We're being guarded through our faith, and actually it's the faith of Jesus that we live by, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, we have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we're called to a life of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And through that life of faith, we are obtaining the salvation of our souls until we get to our eternal destination with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Heaven is our home, and we're only here for a short time. Let's skip down to verse 22. I want to talk to you about what living a life of faith looks like in God's eyes. And Peter lays it out here. Having purified your souls. How do we purify ourselves? This is what we've called to do. By your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So we are to purify our souls, our minds, our will, our emotions. We know that Paul said that we are to renew our minds, not to be conformed to the world, but to renew our minds through the washing of the water of the word. 
The Word of God is where we come in contact with the truth of God. The real truth, not the world's truth, but God's truth. So, we purify our souls by being obedient to the truth, not by learning the truth, not by saying the truth, but by being obedient to the truth. By obeying God, in other words. And by living in love. Faith worketh by love. So if our motivation isn't love, it doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter if you can quote the entire Bible. If your motivation isn't love from a pure heart, and your desire is to please and to honor God with your life, then there might be a problem. And I want to talk about how we fix that problem. God never wants to point out an issue or a problem with His children without showing you how to remedy that problem. And this is quite simple. Everything with God is quite simple. Not hard to understand when it's explained correctly. But the doing, the practical application of God's truth sometimes is difficult for people because of rebellion in their own minds and hearts and their souls. They want to do things their way. They want to live their their life. God can't tell me what to do. Why did He give me a free will if He didn't want me to exercise it and to do what I feel like I need to do and what will make me happy? Well, if that's how you think and how you talk, you don't really have an understanding of God at all. He does want you to be happy, but that's not the goal of your existence. In Revelation 5, I love... The fact that in the fifth verse, because I like five, they talking about these seven scrolls, remember, and how no one in heaven or on earth could open them because no one was found worthy. And then there was Jesus in the midst of them. In heaven, he's right in the midst, in the middle, which is his, his, the place where he should be. He's entitled to them. In Exodus, it says, I am the Lord who is in the midst of the earth. Always centered. God is the center, the focal point. Look at, look over at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Verses 19 through 23. Toward the back of John. Chapter 20. Starting at the 19th verse. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews 
This is after Jesus had been raised from the dead. The disciples were in hiding and they were in a locked room. Jesus came and stood among them. In the King James, it said, stood in their midst, right in the middle of them, amongst them, in the center of the room where they were hiding. And he said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even am I sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus in the midst of them. Right in the middle, where he, his proper place. And I just want to submit to everyone today that when Jesus is at the center of your life, at the center of your marriage, at the center of your work, at the center of your relationships, at the center of your health, at the center of your finances, He will make you peaceful. Jesus in the midst makes us joyful. He makes us useful as servants in the kingdom of God and He makes us powerful. Amen. People think that that don't know the Lord think that the cross, the message of the cross, that God would send His Son and have Him be treated in that fashion and killed in that way, lay down His life on the cross. They think that's foolishness. But the foolishness of the cross is greater than the wisdom of man. And I want to tell you today that in order to have Jesus at the center of your life, you have to get out of the way. If you fight for your rights, you will lose them. But if you lay them down, God will restore them to you. It's a kingdom of opposites. You can't go by how you feel or how you think it should be done or what you see. You have to live a life of faith in what God says and how He says to do it. I want to look at Jesus as the perfect example of humility so that we can better understand how to act and walk in humility and to put the Lord center in our lives as He should be. Look in Philippians chapter 2. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians. Philippians chapter 2. Some say this is seven downward steps that Jesus took. Downward I mean in humility. Culminating in the death at the cross. 
I'm not going to count them. I think you really need the King James to see that more clearly. But I want to read this from chapter 2. So that we can see how Jesus himself walked in perfect humility before God. And what happened because of it. Is that of interest to you? Philippians chapter 2. Paul is, is really beseeching us. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We can just stop right there and if we really are honest about that and think about that, I would think many of the things that we do are based on selfish ambition and conceit. But you have to be honest with yourself in order to to learn and to grow from these, these instructions from the Lord. If you don't see yourself there, then... You won't be able to benefit. But I assure you that God is speaking to you. You may think of the person you know this applies to. But God says no it was you. I was speaking to. Nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility. There it is. Count others more significant than yourselves. I think of my wife. In the last going on four weeks now, how she has been nothing but a servant to me and how she's been such a blessing in such a time of great need after going through a massive heart surgery that I had. She's been there every step of the way and I I thank God for her because I don't think I could have done it without her. But that's what it looks like. To think of others more highly than yourself. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. But also to the interest of others. It doesn't say don't think anything of yourself. Don't take care of yourself. And don't take care of your business and your interest. No God wants us. You know I say if you're not living on the edge. You're taking up too much space. I got that from Andrew Womack. He says it all the time. He says we need to dream bigger. Bigger than anything that we can achieve on our own. Bigger than our finances can achieve on our own. But the important thing is to make sure that Jesus is in the midst. Make sure it's his plan and not our own. And then make sure it's something bigger and better than you could ever do on your own. And then go for it. Once you know that you've heard God. Because this is where God provides. Is where he guides. Amen. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. So you are looking to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. I know my wife and I, we... This doesn't mean that you give anything that anyone asks you for. Matter of fact, I know some ministers that say if someone asks them for something, it sort of disqualifies that person. And what they mean by that is they live according to the Spirit... They, they walk very closely with the Lord and they trust the Holy Spirit to show them those who they want them to be a blessing to. But 
I know that my wife and I, we take joy in the fact that we can be a blessing to others. Of course, we, we like to have accomplishments on our own and we like to have successes and we like to uh, have never let our memories be greater than our dreams and always be growing towards something. That's for us. But also, it's for others who can enjoy the, the benefit of our, our prosperity. Amen. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity. And he knew that, but he also knew that he was here to become our kinsman redeemer. He had to lay aside all of his authority and rights and privileges. The only power that he walked in in this earth was after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time that he was baptized by in water by his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And that's the same thing that you have available to you today. So he laid aside everything else and he didn't think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is important. You have an opportunity in this life to live out of your own free will. God will not stand in the way. Now you may open every door for the devil and you'll think God is out to get you, but no, it's you that's opened those doors to the enemy. And he will come in and eat your lunch and pop the bag. But you also have the opportunity to humble yourself, especially once God has drawn you to himself and he has begun to reveal his truth like he is today to us. This is God speaking to you. Not that I am God, but, but Christ lives in me. So I'm speaking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading directly from the Word of God. And I believe this is the Word that He's put on my heart to share with you today. So if you're hearing this message, it's for you. And you need to do what Jesus did. He humbled Himself. He wasn't humbled. He wasn't... Um, it wasn't uh, mandated. It wasn't put upon him. He wasn't a robot. He did it. He chose to be obedient to God and to humble himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is that foolishness of man, that a foolishness of God that man thinks is foolishness, but it's, it was really the wisdom of God and the will of God that this should happen this way so that Jesus could be our kinsman redeemer and bring us back into relationship with our Father in heaven and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And look, because Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and to, to the point of death, which you haven't been asked to do that, you haven't been asked to do that. But look how verse 9 starts out. Therefore. When you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what it's there for. This therefore is saying, because Jesus humbled himself. Because Jesus lived a life of obedience. He purified himself by being obedient to the truth, to the word of God, and by walking in love. 
he humbled himself. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, lifted him up and set him on the throne next to him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. If you do not do it in this life, you will not live with Jesus in eternity. But you will still bow the knee. And then you'll be destroyed. If we fight for our rights, we'll lose them. If we lay them down, God will restore them to us. Humility comes before honor. Jesus said, everyone. Does that mean everyone? That's what it means in the Greek too. Everyone who exalts himself will be abased. That means humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That's from Jesus. You know, in this world, science has made great discoveries over time. Some of them are still wrong. But as time goes by, God reveals more and more. And science has breakthroughs and until they have to change it and, and they find something else. But at one time, the world and the church, the church has not always been right. But that's not God's fault. Just like all the thousands of denominations that we have. Nothing against anyone. There's power in groups and you can get a lot done and there's been great things accomplished Mm -hmm. through the church. But God God never had divisions in himself. All of the different groups and, and uh, breakups between men and between the church are, are just because of men, not because of God. But the church and the world used to think that the sun revolved around the earth. If you go out on a pretty day and you say you're out fishing, I like to fish, you see that sun come up in the east, it's so beautiful, and you watch it rise up into the sky around noonday and then it heads to the west and it goes back down. And it looks like the sun is revolving around the earth. And that's what they thought for many, many years. I think Copernicus or one of those scientists, I'm not strong in science, but they they came out and said, no, the earth revolves around the sun. And The Christians didn't like that. I think they almost killed some of the scientists over that. But that's how foolish men and the church have been in the past at times. But I wanted to use that example because I think that's where many Christians are and the entire world. But they think that God is simply there to provide for their needs. And a lot of this teaching just comes from the pulpit. And it's not the correct balance. 
And so it causes people to be self-centered Christians. They think of God as some sort of divine vending machine or slot machine and that he's just there to provide for their needs. And so they become self-centered. While it's true that God does supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, but he doesn't revolve around us. He's not there just to provide for your needs. We revolve around him. We live to glorify God. If you can't honestly say that your life revolves revolves around Jesus Christ, with Jesus at the center of your life, Jesus comes before your spouse, before your children, before your job, before yourself, before your money, then you are off balance and probably miserable in many ways. Jesus, we're created to glorify God. He's not there to be our servant. We're made to create and created to glorify and to praise and to honor Him with our lives. And if you've never come to terms with that, and you can't honestly say when you're in your prayer closet, alone from the world and free from all the pride of life and the things that maybe you think you're okay with, and maybe you are, I hope that you are, This is something that I'm meditating on myself. I want to be sure that Jesus is at the center of my life. And if I find areas that he isn't, I intend to repent, to change my mind and, you know, just to go and go his way instead of my own way. And I think this is a good checkup from the neck up for everybody. And if you'll do it, I think you'll find that there are areas Where God, you can't honestly say that Jesus is the center. That you don't go to Him first. That you don't include Him and have Him at the center of that part of your life. And it's an easy fix. Just repent. Say, Lord, I'm I'm sorry. I I realize. And, And if you're not sure, which... Well, let's just say, honestly, you're not sure. You hope that he is, but maybe you have the problem of the sin of comparison. Maybe you're just looking around and you're saying, well, I think I am do better than this guy or that girl. Or, but that's not, God says that's foolish to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. We only need to compare ourselves to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if you do that, you will humble yourself because you'll always find yourself lacking. I know that I do. I just want to finish with this. If you'll turn over back to the the book of John and then I want to pray with you. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, 
He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The Lord wants us to walk in the fullness of joy, and he's made provision for that. If you'll skip down to verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The world recognizes Christians because of their love one for another. We could just start right there. Can you honestly say that you love Christians because they're Christians? You should. You should at least be trying. He says that we're to give special kindness in regard to Christians because they're our family. That's the family that will last. I know that we think of family members as the most important thing in this world. And we should treat our family well and love them. But do you know that God sees it a little differently? He sees your true family as the family of God, the real church. And he says that's the most important family. And that you should love him more than you love even your own children or your father or mother. I want to encourage you, if you don't know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that's something that can be remedied right away. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to this earth and that He lived a sinless life and died on the cross for your sins, and that He lives today and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, then you can make Him your Lord and Savior. Just say this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that You are the Son of God. I believe that You loved me and died for my sins. And I ask You to come into my heart today. I repent of my sins. And I ask You to come into my heart today and be my Lord and Savior to the exclusion of all others. Amen. If you said that prayer, you're... You're born again. And now, if there are those who have been born again, but maybe you've slipped away from, or backslidden as they call it, in certain areas of your life. Maybe God redeemed you one time from, from alcohol or from sexual sin or from greed or from anger. And somehow it's come back upon you and you've allowed that demon to come back in. I just tell you right now, you can be free. 
You just need to put Jesus at the center of that area of your life and ask Him to help you to be set free from that and He'll do it. He'll do it right now in the name of Jesus. I declare. And I want to pray with you. Dear Lord Jesus, I just ask that everyone here and everyone who ever hears this message, if they have a need, that you meet them at their point of need. And if, that they will come to you with a sincere heart and say, Lord, please help me. Please help me to be free of this thing that hinders me. And I ask you to take center place in my life that you will meet that need, Lord, and that you will hurry in and show them that you heard them and that you were with them the whole way. You never did leave them or forsake them even though they had walked away from you in certain areas of their life. You were there waiting with open arms just like the, the father of the prodigal son in the book that you gave to us. And we thank you that you love us so much. And we just ask you, Lord, today to be center of our lives, center of our marriages, center of our relationships, center of our finances, center of our health, center of everything to do with us. And we look forward to being with you forever in eternity. Help us to help others, Lord, to know you, to be healed, empowered, loved, and prospered as we are through our salvation in Christ Jesus, our King. Amen.